And uh, it's not the only time, of course, he's done that, but he, he came in. And boy, did he ever. And there was, a great, uh, there was a great rejoicing and joy and peace and power any time the Holy Spirit shows up. And he was here last night when we had the funeral, too. The Holy Spirit came into this place. He showed up twice, two times in a row. And uh, I tell you what preachers do when the Holy Spirit shows up, preachers begin to jump up and shout inside their soul. Because believe me, I have fought through sermons and worried through them and was glad when it was over. And But when the Holy Spirit shows up, I mean, it's just like you kind of float on and God's spirit moves within you and you thank the Lord for what he's done. So let's pray that he does that tonight. Wouldn't that be good? Amen. Holy Spirit shows up. Because you see, folks, if the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with life. Anywhere God is present, he's present with life. Amen. Life. He's the living one. Uh, I'm sure tonight that you're aware of what's happened in the Holy Land. I'm sure you are. You, you about have to be living in a cave to not know it. Right now, there's a considerably sized army, 300,000 troops that are uh, staging and getting ready to assault that thing. Uh, that's, that's a big army, folks, 150,000 is an army, and you've got two armies there, no question. And, uh, and this is, uh, it's, they're going to be assaulting the uh, Gaza. Uh, a few years ago, uh, when our troops were over in Iraq, they were at the gates of Fallujah. And I'll remember they wrote a, they wrote a piece about that, and we read it, uh, about, the, uh, about the enemy they faced and the danger, harm's way. Well, now they're at the gates of Gaza. And you might want to put it another way. They're at the gates of hell because that's what they're facing. The troops the other day, they gathered them together and they started singing. And uh, they were singing their songs and singing the, the Israeli uh, national anthem. And what they were build, uh, doing was building patriotism and motivation and camaraderie and the things that troops have to have. Uh, if you've ever been in the military and you know what we're talking about where uh, you, there's a camaraderie there. You, you, don't leave your, you don't leave your buddy laying on the field. You take him with you. And, uh, and so they, lo they look out for each other. They look out for each other's back. Uh, pray for them. Because I don't know what's going to come of this, uh, but I am watching, believe me. Uh, a few months back, been over a year ago now, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, sent his troops into the Ukraine, and they, uh, they invaded the country. Most, uh, most uh, uh, people who analyzed it, the generals and so forth, said, well, it'll be over in a few days because uh, Russia will overwhelm the, uh, the Ukrainian army. They don't have anywhere near what they need to stand against them. Truth of the matter is, this lasted well over a year now, as you're aware of that. And uh, the truth of the matter is also that Ukrainians have won quite a few battles, and the outcome is uncertain. But that's going to lead us into what I'm going to be talking about tonight, because none of these things happen in a vacuum, none of them. Nothing happens in a vacuum. There's a reason for it, and there's one who oversees everything that happens, and he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And you know, I've taught you before how that John the Baptist could have been Elijah. And of course, had he been Elijah, everything in the New Testament that you saw would have been in a different manner. It would have applied to a different dispensation. Uh, but Israel rejected it, and so he was not Elijah, but he could have been Elijah. That's important to understand. And what happened was that we've had 2,000 years of church history now. The Church of God has been here, the body of Christ, for 2,000 years. We're looking for the coming of the Lord, 
It did not have to happen that way. That's why, I'm, that's why it's important. I'm going to give you a plausible scenario tonight. There's a reason I mention it in that fashion. A plausible scenario. Now turn the book of 2 Thessalonians with me, if you will. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. And verse number 1. Now, this is an apostle. This is a Christian apostle writing to a body of believers, Christians. This is not a letter addressed to secular uh, or Jews in the sense of its Jewish in context, like the uh, kingdom of heaven. This is a Christian apostle writing to Christians. And he says in verse number 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together to him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now the day of Christ is not the day of the Lord. And if you have a Bible that has changed that text, you have something that's been perverted. I don't want to be mean with anybody, but I'm telling you right now, in the Greek text, that is Christos, not Kyrios. Kyrios is Lord, all right? Would be translated Lord, but not here. It is Christos. Hemera is the Greek word for day. Hemera, Christos, the day of Christ. So the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin... Be revealed, the son of perdition. Now we're getting into the Antichrist. There's no question about that. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. All right, that's verses 1 through 4. Now, I want you to notice something in verse number 4. It's kind of, uh, should make you think. Note carefully. He sits where? in the temple of God. Now that was 2,000 years ago when this was written, folks, okay? 70 AD, under Titus, we know what happened to the temple, don't we? All right, it was the second temple, Temple of Solomon, rebuilt by uh, Herod, and it was torn down. That's what's there now. There is no temple there now, which brings up the question, a number of questions. No, question number one. It looks to me like 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit is telling you that we would have Jews 2,000 years later. Gentiles aren't going to build a temple. How many, how many understand that? The Holy Spirit says there's going to be Jews 2,000 years into the future, and they're going to build a temple. Now, this is called the third temple. And all you have to do is just Google the third temple online. You'll be amazed at the information you pull up. I'll give you some of it tonight some of it. But the point is that there is definitely going to be a temple. Now, when you read the book of Zechariah, it says he shall build the temple of the Lord. And that's a direct reference to the Messiah. He's going to build the temple of the Lord. Well, now the temple he builds is not going to be this temple. Okay. This is a different temple entirely, but it's important that there is going to be a temple. So we need to understand something about this. What if I set about to build a temple on top of Moriah? You heard our brother preach on Moriah, by the way, Sunday. I wasn't that a good message on Moriah. Amen. So let's set about to build a temple on top of Moriah. Would anybody object to that? 
I believe we'd have quite a few objections, don't you think? I mean, there'd be a bunch of Arab countries out there and Muslims who would, they'd be ready for World War III, right? Absolutely. So we have a problem. We have a problem. We have a problem. That problem is the uh, vast array of Muslims who believe that the Temple Mount is where Muhammad ascended to heaven, and they believe that Al-Asqa Mosque was built by Abraham. So they hold a lot of stock in the Temple Mount. This is why there's such uh, divisions as it comes to it, because the Jews also believe that that Temple Mount represents something that's very important to them. It is where the Temple stood 2,000 years ago. And um, there's the uh, Muslims have gone, they've gone about to say that the Temple never stood at that spot and that it has never been a Jewish spot and that it has always been a holy site for all religions and so therefore they have every right to claim it as their own. That's what the Muslims say. Archaeology, as I've told you before, is always your friend. Always, folks. Oh, don't ever fear archaeology. That's your friend. Well, how many of you know what a mikvah is? I've told you before. A mikvah is a ritual cleansing site, like a baptismal pool. And uh, you can see the mikvahs over in the Holy Land now at the top of the mountain. They're there at the Temple Mount. And this was a ritualistic cleansing that the Jew would go through as he approached the top of the Temple Mount. This was one of the, one of the things that he, 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 he went through. Well, lo and behold, they have discovered underneath Al-Aska Mosque, guess what? Jewish mikvahs. Now, what does that say? That says that the mikvah was there before the mosque. And the mikvah is Jewish. See what I mean? All right. So now, we have a problem with that temple mount. So now, how do we build this third temple? Because they want the third temple. How do we build it? Since we have all these Muslims all over the world who absolutely are adamantly opposed to it. And tonight, so the leader of Hamas is calling for the Muslim world, this is all these Arab states, to rise up in unity against Israel. Okay, now this thing's getting worse for the day. It's getting worse. Uh, we, are, we are by no means uh, seeing the end of it. No, no, no. So they're calling for this. So we don't know what tomorrow is going to happen. We don't know if tonight, we, maybe while I'm standing here right now, uh, the assault on Gaza has taken place. Who knows? I don't know. And I don't know what's going to happen from that. But the bottom line is we have a mountain over there that's called Mount Zion or Mount Moriah. Moriah means, and he, it's a Hebrew word, it means where God sees and God will be seen. It's where Abraham took Isaac, his son, to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. It was the threshing floor of Arun of the Jebusite. And it was also the site where the angel of the Lord stood with sword drawn, and God gave them peace and no more died. And it was there that the temple of God was built on top of Moriah. Solomon built it. David uh, had the plans for it, and his son Solomon built it. So what do we do? Well, this is a plausible scenario. So what does that mean? That means that at this time in 2023, that uh, like Elijah could have been, uh, like a John the Baptist could have been Elijah, let's see if there's something that could be happening right now that could uh, produce something like this. Um, this is preparation for Ezekiel chapter number 38. Have you got your Bible and turned to Ezekiel 38 with me tonight? <clears throat> 
Ezekiel chapter number 38. And verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now, who is this? Well, there's a lot of controversy. Some say there's no question that it's Russia and that, uh, uh, that Meshach is a, is, a, is a kind of a form of Moscow. There are others that say it has nothing to do with Russia. All right. We're not going to try to prove one way or another what it is, but I want to show you something that, like I say, a plausible happening. The October the 9th, 2023, so this is pretty current, isn't it? Brussels. European officials and experts are concerned that Russia could exploit the chaos surrounding the Hamas attack on Israel, pushing the Kremlin even closer to Iran. Now, Iran, where is that? Well, when you come over here and you read verse 5 of Ezekiel chapter number 38, what's the first word in verse 5? Persia. That is, that is the... That is the ancient name of Iran. Keep in mind, Iranians are not Arabs, and the Iranians are Shiite Muslims. Uh, Saudi Arabia are Sunni Muslims. So even though they may appear to be together in something, they hate each other and have ever since the break when Muhammad died, and they still do. A Shiite Muslim and a Sunni Muslim at best tolerate each other. That's all it is with that. But here's Persia. Now, who is Persia connected with? If this is Russia, they're connected with Russia. Now, nowhere in the past has Russia ever been connected with Persia. But for some strange reason, a connection has developed. Wonder what? When Putin assaulted the Ukraine thought he'd take it in no time and it would overthrow. It didn't. He has used up an enormous amount of weaponry. He has lost a lot of his best generals. Tens of thousands of his troops have died. It has not been what he expected it to be. And so therefore, he's looking, shopping around for some help. Guess what? Iran has missiles. They have very sophisticated missiles. And these missiles, Russia would like to get a hold of. And so they get into talks about exchanging military hardware. And this is what this is about and some other that I have. There is no sign that Russia provided material support or even had advance notice prior to the surprise attack on Saturday, which has left at least 900 Israelis dead Scores more kidnapped, taken to Gaza Strip, where Israel has begun retaliatory strikes. Israeli Defense Minister Yaav Gallant said on Monday that he'd ordered a full siege of the area. No power, no food, no gas. Everything is closed. But Hamas, now who is this? Hamas is a terrorist organization that beheads little children. They throw burning tires inside their room and burn them alive and stand outside and listen to them scream 
as the little children are being burnt alive. They dragged the women into the streets and raped them in front of their husbands, in front of their families. This is what Hamas is doing. The fact of the matter is that they are so brutal that even the peaceniks in Israel who thought that they could give land for peace and a two-state solution surely would take care of the problem have now awakened to the fact that they're dealing with a monster, an inhumane animal. And now the whole nation of Israel, like they haven't in a long time, has come together as one. Yeah, and just a few weeks ago, they were marching by their tens of thousands against Netanyahu, and now they have come together as one. They have never faced anything like they're facing tonight since 1973, the Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur was the Day of Atonement. Golda Meir was the Prime Minister. Israel was assaulted on the most holy day of the year by a number of nations. Her survival, her survival was in view, could have been destroyed, which that's what they've tried to do since day one. They're referring back to Yom Kippur now. That was 50 years ago. And they're saying tonight that we are exactly where we were back then because they say we know this is bigger than Gaza. They understand that. They realize that. So what's happening? What's happening is that Iran and Russia have apparently forged some ties together and they are in a kind of an agreement that they are uh, apparently going to support each other. The Wall Street Journal reported on Sunday that Iran helped Hamas prepare for the attack and gave the green light for the assault a week ago. Iran's conventional ground game has improved exponentially in the last decade. Michael Doran, an expert at the Hudson Institute, told Foreign Policy that Iran's Quds Force, a special unit of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps that has helped build battle-ready proxies for Tehran around the Middle East, had assisted Hamas in improving its tactical acumen. Hamas was able to breach the Gaza fence and overrun Israeli villages using paragliders and homemade rockets against one of the most technologically advanced militaries in the world. So there's no question in anyone's mind, and even the president of this nation admitted it this afternoon, that Iran has had a direct hand in what's happened to Israel. There is no way that they could have carried out such a sophisticated assault with what they had that cost money. There's no way that it could have happened except that Iran was part of what's going on. Why is that important? It's important because Iran has been trying to have a nuclear weapon. They've been trying to develop a nuclear weapon. And there's no question about that. If they ever get a nuclear weapon, do you think tonight, now just ask yourself this question, do you think that if Iran had a nuclear weapon, 
they would restrain themselves like Israel has restrained, restrained itself with its nuclear weapon. Israel has nuclear weapons. There's no question about that, none whatsoever. So do you think in the hands of the, of the, of the mullahs, the ayatollahs over there in Iran, if they had the nuclear weapon, do you think they'd use it? Sure they would. Sure they would. And when you start using nuclear weapons, you immediately go into World War III. That's a fact. That's a fact. All right. So now, Russia and Iran are joined together. Okay. In a sense that uh, they need each other. And that's one of the things that's the driving force now. Is that they need each other. And that what happens here in the Gaza Strip, watch it carefully. Because once you see people start dying and they're going to die, they've already been dying. The world will rise up against Israel, as they always do, and tell them to back out, cease fire, and stop. Israel has said, and this time they have said it time and time again, we will not stop until Hamas ceases to exist. We will not go through this again. All right. Therefore, what it takes for Hamas to cease to exist is going to be an issue. And all you can do now is watch and pray because here what, here's, here's what may happen. Israel may have to strike Iran. Yeah, they may have to. But if they strike Iran, Iran has a ally. It's called Russia. Now go back 2,000 years. This Bible says that Russia, if that is Russia, Gog and Magog, Meshach and all of that, if that is Russia, and they come down upon the fields of Israel, that God will meet them and destroy them and put a hook in their jaws, and it'll take seven years to bury the dead and the weapons of war, that God will rise up as Michael, as he has in the past. He'll probably use Michael, an archangel, but whoever he uses, that's his business. But God will rise up for Israel, and he'll stop Russia in its tracks, and he'll also be stopping Iran in its tracks. Now, what happens? If that happens in your lifetime, soon, then you'll see the Arab world having witnessed a supernatural event, something they have never seen before, back off. And when that Arab world backs off, that's when the Jew builds his temple. Because the Jews are saying now, we do not have the presence that the temple would bring. That once that temple is standing on the top of Moriah, they called it the Shekinah. They call it the Shekinah. That's a very controversial term. But anyway, I'm quoting what they say. They say that once that temple is built, the Shekinah will return and we will have that power in that temple to be able to go out into the world and to project who and what we are to this world. That we want the world to know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the only true and living God. When I fully agree with them on the fact that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, is the only true and living God, but it is not manifested by some Shekinah. It's manifested by the Son of God. 
That's the difference between a Christian and that. But here's what to keep in mind. This is what you keep in mind. That once they build that temple, they'll build that temple because someone's going to step in. And the one that steps in is the one that's going to give them peace. Peace. We have peace now. Russia has been destroyed. Iran is, is, is no more. The Arab worlds are backed off. Now build your temple. And so they build their temple. And today, folks, with the technology they have today, especially artificial intelligence and all the rest of it, they can put one up in no time. Yes, they can. And that temple is built. But then you read in the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2. It's quite a remarkable passage once again. Look at it. He shall go into the temple of the Lord and as God sit down in the temple of the Lord. Now, how could he do that right now? There's no temple there. He couldn't do that. In the past, well-meaning preachers, and I've seen it, I've seen it in Jerusalem, well-meaning preachers have got up and told people there's a great synagogue over there in Jerusalem. There is a beautiful building. And they say that could suffice as the temple. No, it can't. A synagogue was never built to offer a sacrifice. The Greek word synagogue means a gathering together of peoples, a place of worship and prayer, but it is not a place of sacrifice. The temple was the place of sacrifice, and the place of sacrifice was at Mount Moriah. That's where he said, I'll put my name, and that's where he put his name, you see. And that, of course, is where our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself, was where God put his name. So... They make this peace agreement. He makes it with Israel. They build their temple. They worship. And then he walks into that temple and breaks that covenant of peace that he makes with those Jews. And he sits down in that third temple and he declares himself to be God. And that wouldn't be hard at all with somebody like an American that doesn't know if they're a male or a female. Seriously. Seriously, you're dealing with a culture of people who have rejected reality. They live in a la-la world. They live in a fantasy world. They live in a make-believe world. So it would not be hard at all for them to believe anything could be God or anyone could be God. And so when he walks in there, sits down, professes to be God, the Orthodox Jew says, hold on, hold on, hold on. And they flee. They flee into the wilderness. They flee into Sela Petra. They flee to a place where God has given them to protect them during the tribulation period. That's it. That's the last straw with them. And the Lord Jesus Christ meets with them out there. He comes to them. He makes himself known to them. And they look at him and they understand now things begin to open up. Lights beginning to shed on the scripture when they come face to face with the one who died on the cross for them. But you see, here's the scenario now, the plausible scenario. Could it happen? Could it happen that what you're looking at right now is the beginning, the foundation for an attack and assault by Russia and Iran down upon the hills of Israel and for God to destroy them at that place? And then because of that, a peace agreement can be made and they can build their temple. Now, folks, I don't know if people would be here when they start building a temple. Somewhere along in here, we're going to hear a shout. He's coming for his bride. That's us. <laughs> That's us. But I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> if, uh, you know, it can have, in, in war, things can happen quickly. 
Yeah, I mean, quickly, you, you don't think that Russia is going to get up on a, hell to, a hilltop somewhere and blow the trumpet and say, here I come. It's going to happen. If it happens, it's going to happen. It'll happen quickly. And if, if you see Russia coming down and Iran coming against Israel, you better be plugged in and ready to go. Amen. You better be ready to go. So I'm not saying at all that this is what's going to happen. But plausible means that there can be that possibility that everything that's needed is there for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, when the, he invaded Ukraine a little over a year ago, I, didn't, I don't like war. I mean, innocents die on both sides. I don't like that. I don't, I don't take any. I don't, I don't like that. Little babies get blown up. Little Russian babies get blown up. Little Ukrainian babies get blown up. I don't like that one bit. But when he did that, it did not move the world like this is moving the world. Why is it? They're marching in the streets. You've got the Palestinian supporters, and they support Palestine, the Palestinians and say that the, that the, that the Jews, the, and Jews what they like to use the term Jew, they like, to, they like to use that term. Look how they've locked these people in, so forth and so on. And then you have the other side, okay, the side that supports Israel. So they're butting heads. In other words, it's one of those things that forces people to take sides. It's always been that way with the Jew. If you know anything about history, you'll know that down through the centuries, the Jews have been blamed for practically everything. They were blamed for the black death that moved through Europe during the Middle Ages. They were blamed for it. Why? Because they didn't suffer in that black death. Sure, I'm sure that many of them died, but not like, not like the others. One of the reasons was because of the sanitary laws that God gave them. He told them what to eat. He told them how to conduct themselves in the field. He told them all these things thousands of years ago. The Jew had that in his Bible, and they got blamed for it. The Jew was blamed for what's called blood libel. What's that? They said that they would come in and steal the little Gentile children and drag them off into the forest and use them as a sacrifice and drink their blood uh, unto their God. So they were accused of that. They've been accused of curses upon people, bringing curses to people, everything under the sun. Uh, Rosenberg was the... Uh, as Goebbels was the uh, was the uh, the propagandist for the the secular world, Goebbels was the propagandist who researched the Jew, and he wrote quite a bit. Of, I've got his book, and uh, they they condemned him to death at Nuremberg and hung him. I think they did. Uh, I think he was hung. But in any event, he went back into history, and you ought to see what he says about the Jew. I mean, he blames the Jew for everything. Now, if you've got half a brain, are you going to accept the fact that one race of people is responsible for all of the suffering, the sorrow, and the pain of mankind? No, all have sinned, folks. And the wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We're all accountable and we're all guilty. Amen. I've learned this in life. I've learned that 99.9% .9 of all of our suffering and sorrow we bring down upon our own head. Amen. I've learned that. That's whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, it would make a difference. We bring it down on the head. But you're watching now. You're watching now things as they unfold before your eyes. So just stay tuned. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem. You know what he said in Zechariah? 
He said, I will make Jerusalem a what? That's right, a burdensome stone. A burdensome stone. He didn't say I'd make New York or San Francisco or London or Paris. He said, I'll make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. So we're watching it tonight. Do you know who gave me my Bible? Where'd that come from? That didn't come from Wall Street. Uh -uh. That didn't come from Silicon Valley. No. That came from those old Jewish scribes. It did. The Masorites. They gave me that book. The apostles, every one of them, Jews. Some controversy about Luke. But they were Jews. They wrote the scripture. And that's what you've got tonight. So we're thankful to them for the word of God. Lord, bless your word tonight. A little time we have together. And Father, none of what I said tonight may come to pass. I just told him it's plausible. But our Heavenly Father, it can be possible. And Lord, give us the wisdom to watch this, prepare our Heavenly Father. But regardless of what happens, I believe your Bible, I believe your word. And I do know that if it's not this time, it will be a time. And you are coming again. And we are waiting for your appearing. We ask this in Jesus' sweet holy name. And amen.